Nation. Providing you with the practical tools and expert knowledge to optimize your strength, health, and mindset inside and out. With your host, Steve Katarzy. Damn, I love my job. Not only do I get to provide a service to you guys by providing wisdom, knowledge, and discussion through interviewing great people, but I get to connect with these great people, these forces for good, industry leaders, people that have been there and done it. And today's no exception. Today, I am interviewing the fantastic Brian Keane. So if you're a fan of his work, you enjoy listening to extreme endurance experiences such as running through the Sahara Desert or running through the Arctic Circle for 250 kilometers, or you love yourself a dose of mental toughness inspiration, this episode is going to be right up your alley. If you're also after some online business wisdom or generally enjoy discovering new, interesting self-improvement leaders, I tell you what, this episode is going to be 100% for you. Brian is a fantastic guy. He's so likable. He's entertaining. He's full of wisdom. He has a great story and he's a self-starter. What he's created is inspirational and his mental toughness is through the roof. So without further ado, I bring you the talented, delightful, funny, endearing, and interesting Brian Keane. Adaptation. Alrighty, guys, I've got a really interesting cat on the call today. And um, I've been following this gentleman for a while. He's not on the radar of everyone, albeit he is incredibly popular. And by the end of today, I'm sure you're going to be interested to follow his journey. So let me tell you a little bit about this guy before I give you the name. He is a he was a primary school teacher, turned WBFF competitor, a physique competitor, a Gaelic footballer, personal trainer, father, and then most recently has been dabbling in some extreme endurance, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a second. He's a best-selling author of books called Fitness Mindset and a new one called Leaner, Stronger, Faster. He's a professional speaker. He has been slogging away at this game of Instagram and social media for many, many years, which again, I'd love to get into on his podcast. And he has his own podcast, which regularly features in the top UK health charts within iTunes. He's a genuinely nice guy. He gives a shit about people when he's trying to make a positive difference. And he loves a good quote, <laughs> which I'm sure again, we'll hear. Brian Keane. Welcome, my man. Steve, thank you so much. Awesome introduction. I think you nailed me on the head there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've been, I'm, I have been following you for a while. And uh, as I say, you, you're a really, really good guy. I get a, a real good sense uh, of the why behind you, behind your messages. And there seems to be a genuine interest to help. Um, so I'm glad that we're speaking. And um, I'm sure my summary was roughly okay, but um, incredibly summarized and probably missing out on some important bits. So for the audience, could you give us a sense of maybe your journey in the space of fitness, Brian? Let's just get started there. Where, 
where has so basically to kind of add on what you said there i was a primary school teacher and i've got huge connections to london and the uk because that's actually where i worked as a primary school teacher for four years and it's where i qualified as a personal trainer and it's actually where i got my business started first i did two years in london working as a personal trainer in the evenings even though i was working as a primary school teacher during the day um, so I've got huge ties to it there. And really, the long and the short of it is I was working as a teacher. I spent, you know, years doing my degrees. I studied in St. Mary's University in Twickenham and Strawberry Hill. And I got my postgraduate in teaching and went into teaching. And it was one of those things that I got into the job and realized that this isn't what I'm meant to do. I did all the work and I had spent years visualizing becoming a teacher and I thought this is what I'm going to do for the next 50 years and then a year into my first job I was like this isn't what I'm meant to do and I ended up getting a you know a fitness instructor course part-time and then a personal training cert then sports nutrition and I went down that route and for two years I did both I worked as a primary school teacher during the day I would come home at night time I would eat some food I'd go to the gym and then I would take clients in the evening or I'd work as a primary school teacher during the day apologies and then I would take clients in the evening and then after about two years of doing that I moved back to the west of Ireland which you can tell maybe from my accent from listening I'm, no. I'm from from Ireland originally nah no <laughs> London born and bred bro no I um um, I'm from Ireland originally, from, from the West. And about five years ago, uh, I moved back and kind of started my business fresh here. Um, and I've been working in fitness ever since. You know, that journey's taken me from competing as a bodybuilder. Um, I turned pro as a professional fitness model in the Miami Pro Show in 2014, competed in the WBFF, finished eighth in the world in Las Vegas. Then my daughter was born and I left that world completely. Um, it wasn't really conducive to what I wanted to achieve as a person. And because it wasn't lending, it was a very, a lifestyle that wasn't supporting me in, you know, being present. I was tired all the time. I was run, completely run down all the time. Um, and I wanted to, to be a better dad. So it, took me out of that world. I started focusing on my business. I wrote my first book, The Fitness Mindset, uh, which did amazing. It was, you know, it was eight weeks on the Amazon bestseller list. It went bestseller in all the bookstores in Ireland. It, it did really, really well. Um, and then I started the podcast, which again has been doing incredible. We're at, you know, 90 to 100,000 downloads a month at the minute. Um, I get to talk to some amazing people on it. I can't believe it's my job now to do that. Um, and then I just recently in the last year or so, I kind of entered the world of extreme endurance. Um, so most recently, I ran 230 kilometers through the Arctic Circle. Um, and last April, I ran six back-to-back -back marathons in the Sahara Desert. So uh, yeah, that's kind of uh, my fitness journey kind of summed up in a nutshell. Um, and we can take it whatever direction you want from there. Yeah, that's uh, it's pretty, pretty full on, to be honest, man. Um, what, what do you regard as your, or no, how would you summarize your profession today? So You've given us the kind of ebb and flow at that high level. But when someone says to you, what do you do today? What do you describe in a nutshell? Over a cocktail. Oh, it's, it's so bad because that question <laughs> is like, um, depending on who you're talking to, you know, it's funny because I live out in, uh, I got, I'm in a house, you know, out near where I grew up. Um, at the minute, about there's about 200 people in my village. I live in a tiny little rural village. Um, I lived in the city for years. I lived in London. I lived in California. Um, and now I'm out in a rural area. Just you know, it's where I want to raise a child. And 
um, it, like I still get asked that question from the local farmers. They're like, what do you actually do? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I don't know how to answer that. So really, I've got a couple. I've got an online fitness business. So I've got online fitness programs, uh, one for general population fitness, one for sports-specific GEA players, um, which is uh, Gaelic football is the kind of Irish national sport, um, kind of a mixture between basketball, rugby and soccer for anyone that's unfamiliar, very similar to um, Aussie rules. Um, so I've got a program dedicated to that. Um, I've got my two books, but the fitness mindset. And as you mentioned, my new one, leaner, stronger, faster. Um, I run seminars and I speak. Um, I also do corporate talks so that I go into a lot of corporations and do either productivity talks or, you know, improving overall health for wellness weeks. Um, and I kind of do, and again, podcast as well. So I've got sponsorships on the podcast. I've got companies that I'm linked in with. So I do a little bit of everything. So my profession kind of falls under several umbrellas but to be honest steve like i'm one of those i'm so fortunate the life that i live everything that i do i would do for free i can't believe i get paid to do some of the things that i do i'm like i would speak for free i would write books for free i would do the podcast for free i would work in my online programs for free and i get paid a very i make a great living i'm so fortunate for the living that i make but it's all stuff that I would do for free. Um, a lot of that was by design and fairness. Um, it, it didn't really happen by default. Um, but yeah, that's basically my profession. Um, I love what I do. Like I've got the best life ever. Um, so long may it last. Do you know what I hear you, man? I've I've transitioned from a corporate gig of about 10 to 15 years in various um, guises, you know, selling stuff, IT stuff uh, to big corporations to in the last year and a half pivoting towards this space, you know, podcasting, article writing, online, as it relates to fitness and nutrition and mindset. So a very similar path, um, now at least, uh, but that pivot has felt effortless, even though it's hard work, it's incredibly hard work. Um, it is incredibly rewarding to do something that just fills you up every day. But Hard work. I mean, I'm I'm guessing you've had your fair share of it, right? I mean, because I, I was I was flicking through your social media feed, and it goes on for quite a while. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's years. We got years worth of stuff there, and I think it stopped or it started, should I say, around about 2014. Um, I've just entered this space year and a half. Before then, I wasn't even on Facebook, wasn't even on Instagram. It's a new world to me. I'm still learning. But you've been at it for a while. It feels like as if it's been a slog, but now you're an overnight success. Talk to me a little bit about that. It's funny. One of my mentors used to always tell me that, you know, she's the 15-year story that's the overnight success or the 15 years of work that's an overnight success. Um, and yeah, it's one of those cases that, Social media, particularly because I think it's just a societal thing now when people see following or they see, you know, a personal brand, you know, numbers of downloads or numbers on Instagram um, and people, you know, put that as success. To be honest, that has grown significantly over the last few years and generally where I tend to put most of my attention tends to grow. You know, I put a lot of attention into Instagram when I was competing and that grew. Um, I put a lot of attention into my podcast now and that's what's been growing. Um, but the truth is it's a lot of it comes back to focusing on the process now, like with social media, I'm so grateful that it's like, it's, it's 2019 to be able to reach people all over the world with the click of a button through an email or through a social media post, something that you just didn't, you couldn't do 15 years ago. Like you just couldn't do it. You couldn't build a business on personal brand because of gatekeepers where you don't have that now because of the, um, immediacy of social media and, I started on it in about 2014 when I started competing first. 
I did my first bodybuilding show, kind of fitness model show in March or April of 2014. And I started to kind of document that journey. Um, I had also just moved back to Galway in the west of Ireland. And I was using social media as a platform. It's funny, I read a book. You, you're probably familiar with this guy, Gary Vaynerchuk, Gary V. Mm-hmm. I read a book called Crush It in 2014, talking about social media and this culture that was starting to build on social media. And I'm like, oh, this, um, this fellow's got quite a good point on this. And I've been following him ever since. Um, ever since. And I read that book and I was like, okay, I'm going to start putting out stuff on Facebook. I'm going to start putting out stuff on Instagram and see will it help my business, see will it help my brand. Um, and to be honest, it was just kind of a documentation process after that. In 2016, then it really started to explode. Um, towards the back end of 2016, I launched the podcast and I started putting out a lot of content. Like I was relentless with videos and blog posts and things along that nature, particularly with Facebook because of the organic reach at the time. And I was getting a lot of traffic because when I got very clear on who I was speaking to and I I was a message, all I was literally doing was taking questions from people and answering in any way that I could, like, you know, trying to be a product of service. Like, how can I help? Um, I still do that on my platforms now. I'm like, it's not about me. It's like, what information or knowledge do I have that can help you on your journey? And that's how I try and approach things. And I started with that in 2016 and it's kind of snowballed since. Um, And that's an approach that I still do today. Like I love the process, you know, using social media for like, I, you know, I joke and I'll I'll hashtag things like ab selfie wanker. If I put up an ab selfie post every, you know, 10 posts, but you know, it's not about the ab selfie or the bicep shot or the chest shot. It's about, okay, have you a question? Is there something I can help you with on, you know, with your mindset? Is there something I can help you with on your nutrition? Is there something I can help you with, with your training? I've been putting up a lot of training videos recently because of people have been asking me, you know, how do I train? What should I do? I'm like, cool, try this workout. Um, and as a result, it's kind of just built. And a lot of it's just word of mouth and people coming into the ecosystem off the back of trying to provide valuable content. Um, so that's kind of how it's grown for me. Nothing happened for about two years, um, like 2014 to 2016, with the exception of a few people following on Instagram because I was competing. Nothing really happened until 2016. And then over the space of about six months, it really started to spiral. I started to get a lot of new followers and a lot of new people coming into my ecosystem um, off the back of an increase in content that I was providing. Um, so yeah, and it's kind of taking me to this point now. And I, I kind of just rinse and repeat that same strategy. Um, and that's kind of what I do now here in 2019. It is a beautiful thing, man. And um, for people trying to get reach and add value online, one, it's incredibly easy, right? These platforms, for the most part, free, a little bit of training, you roughly know how how to get around them, but to really leverage them for scale and, and achieve the aspirations people want from Instagram, YouTube, podcast, that's hard actually getting the scale is hard. And you know, some people assume it's luck, or it's a lucky break, or it's, you know, one event that just changed the the shape of your journey. But I suspect it's just for you. And unless you, you tell me otherwise, one of hard graft and uh, just keep putting out the content and through time, yeah, there's a compounding effect, right? At least I, I see that now there's a compounding effect, it gets easier and easier to find bigger numbers of followers, because you're compounding on already bigger number. Is that is that fair? Or would you say there's actually been one or two moments in your journey, we'd say what, it was this day, this month, this activity, this piece of content, and things just kind of got off to the races for me? 
No, that's what you said is exactly right. Now, I, I do know that it's happened to some people. Like I've got a couple of friends and networks who have had that video that's gone viral. And that kind of was their trajectory. And it, that's what they took off from. And um, that didn't happen for me. I didn't have any viral piece of content that brought 20,000 people into my ecosystem in two days. Uh, it was it, a lot of it was just slow and gradual over time. And I forget like one of the things I used to do, I don't do this anymore and as much anymore because I actually don't focus on my quantity of follower anymore. I'm like, well, how can I serve the people that are currently following me? And then if new people come into my ecosystem, amazing. But back when I was growing first, because it was so slow, I used to have to take screenshots every two or three months because it felt like it wasn't growing at all. And then I'd look back mm -hmm. and go, oh, you're actually up 4,000 followers in the last three months. Um, but it doesn't feel like that because it was so gradual. It was 10 a day, 20 a day. Um, so yeah, like the advice I'd ever offer to anybody that's trying to build up a platform like that or build up a people coming into your ecosystem is just keep plugging away at it and realize that nearly everybody at the start of their journey, nobody watches. Nobody watched my videos when I put them out first. Nobody read any of my blog posts when I put them out first. The only thing that people did go straight into was my podcast because I'd already built up quite a decent number of social media followers. And then when I started a podcast, I was just funneling people across from one to the other. Um, so I was mm -hmm. able to leverage following on one platform to bring them into the ecosystem on another. Um, but for the most part, nobody watched for like, a year. I'd say for my first 50 videos, nobody watched. There was like my mum, <laughs> like and my sister, like, and that was it. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, you know, that, that's what happens. That's, that's what happens at the start. Um, and you yeah. just keep plugging away. It's the key is to focus on the process. And focus on the one person you are helping. Like I do a lot of work consultancy and stuff with people that have their own fitness business and they'll get disheartened by, you know, putting out content or people trying to build a personal brand. They'll get disheartened by putting out content and going, well, no one's commenting or no one's liking or only one person commented. I'm like that one person that commented, you may have changed their life for that piece of content. That may have been the message that they needed on this moment and day. You know, just because you didn't get 20,000 likes on the photo, you might have got three likes, but one of those people was on the fence about, do you know what, I'm not feeling too good about myself today. And that piece of content was exactly what I needed to serve my purpose in my training or my mindset or my nutrition. When I stopped focusing on the metrics of the quantity and focused on the quality that this one piece of content may be the thing that somebody needs right now, then it just changed my whole perspective. Um, and as a result, I just, I just focused on other things. And that's what I still do to this day when I create anything. I go, well, if, this, if I think this is a good piece of content that could potentially help one single person, then I'm going to post it. You know, even if it hits only one person out of 70,000, that one person, it might be enough to help and benefit their life in some meaningful way. Um, and that's just the way I approach it. And that's helped me um, in terms of playing the long game and is probably advice I'd offer. And it's, it, is, it is advice I offer a lot of people who are on a similar journey of trying to build up their personal brand or trying to build up their business brand or whatever it is that they're trying to do. I think value centricity is, is really the game, or at least I feel it is, it's the right game to play. But Brian, I mean, if I'm honest, you know, what people need isn't necessarily what they want and that I, I i don't know if you understand what i'm saying here but you know value you'd, you'd like to think okay this what i'm about to put out there there's value if it's consumed but it doesn't necessarily mean that people want to consume it because it would be the right time right place they just want entertainment um they're you know conditioned to you know be click happy and just scroll 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 and just really want a moment of entertainment not necessarily a moment of education 
and using platforms such as Instagram, I feel is a great platform for education, enablement, inspiration. But that isn't always or quite often the reason why people use it in the first place. So how have you navigated this, uh, you know, what was a kind of egocentric platform that's now becoming more value centric, but still people go for the entertainment? How do you navigate that? And, you know, have you struggled with the choice of give people what they want versus what they need? Yeah, yeah, it's something that I kind of thought about back and forth because at some stage, I think everybody has it. It's like, because you know, like I know for a fact, if I put up a post, a shirtless selfie, you know, of, you know, abs and biceps, that's going to get way more interaction than a post on here's how you can deal with your anxiety or here's how Mm -hmm. to deal with self-imposed depression or environmental depression from a breakup or whatever it is. Um, You know, just random topics. You know, I'm trying to go from both ends of the spectrum just to kind of give a gauge. But how I tend to approach it is when I, I give business seminars to fitness professionals and I tend to break content on social media, particularly Instagram. You have three types of content. You have either utility, which is where you're providing value. You have entertainment, you know, something that's funny, a clip, or you've got escapism, which is just completely escaping out of reality, something that you can numb out to. And being very, very clear that I tend to focus on utility. Um, I don't do the escapism well because, you know, I'm not a reality TV show. I don't do entertainment that well, you know, because I'm like, uh, I'm not that funny. Like, I'm kind of, if you throw a line at me, I could probably give you something witty back, but I'm not super entertaining in the sense of, with the exception of a little bit of a motivation and a rah-rah, I, I'm not going to make you, you know, curl over laughing like I, I would be a failed stand-up. But you, I can do utility. You know, I've got, from a teaching background, I'm very fortunate to be able to break down complex ideas into their simplest form. And I'm able to utilize any knowledge and information that I have and kind of break it down. So I tend to focus on utility. Um, but you can mix it with stuff that you know that people want. You know, one of my mentors used to always tell me that you to give people what they want on the front end and what they need on the back end. And you could potentially bring people, us. you know, you can bring people into your ecosystem that way. Um, I used to do it a lot with my podcast where I did a, uh, just to give you an example, I did a podcast last year. It was a Q&A. And one of the questions was hooking up. I, I titled the episode, Hooking Up With Birds Way Out Of Your League. So you can imagine that got a load of clicks. You know, like <laughs> I, I, I've got a split audience, you know, a 50-50 female-male split. Um, but you can imagine, because I, I had girls going, going, oh, what's he saying about us? And I had guys going, oh, I'm totally all over this. So, but the idea was, the, the principle was, you know, I gave them what they wanted on the front end, but the concept was weighing up the pro side, weighing up the downside, and then asking yourself, can you handle the downside? It was a, a basically breaking down how to make a decision, you know, and I break every decision I ever make into, you know, what's the upside if I go after this thing that I want? What's the downside? And then if the downside manifests, can I handle the downside? And that's kind of a case where giving people what they want in the front end. And I, the example I used was approaching an attractive girl at a bar, you know, or an attractive guy at a bar. I was like going up and this is what's your upside downside. I was like, your upside is that, you know, you end up meeting the absolute love of your life and you spend the rest of your life together and have countless years of amazing years. Or if you're just looking for a hookup, you end up hooking up with somebody really hot, you know, depending on what your value is and what your, you know, the value exchange you're trying to get. The downside is, you know, I was like, play out the worst case scenario. I was like, worst case scenario, they laugh in your face, throw a drink at you, and you walk away and you're embarrassed for 10 or 15 minutes. I'm like, can you handle that downside? And then I'm like, when you weigh up the pros versus the downside, I'm like a potential life partner or an amazing one night hookup versus 
10 or 15 minutes of embarrassment. I was like, now weigh up your upside and downside. So that's kind of one of the ways that I would get around it. That's giving people what they want on the front I like end. It. Yeah, and it worked. Like the episode got a load of downloads, <laughs> like because, because it worked, but it was giving people what they need on the back end. All I was trying to do was be, have an entertaining way of putting across decision-making protocol on how, you know, don't let fear stop you when you can actually analyze a situation and realize that the upside to this way outweighs the downside and then make your decision based off that. Um, so that's kind of one of the ways I nav navigate around it. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, listen, man, that for me personally, lots of value there. Um, speaking to someone who is a few years ahead of me in, in this game. So thank you for sharing some of those anecdotes, man. That is fantastic. I now want to key off something you just said. You, you spoke about decision making and how you, it sounds like you're quite analytical and um, process driven on making decisions. So, you know, if I look through your Instagram feed, a big portion of it in the early stages were those muscle shots. It was competing. It was getting big, getting jacked, getting muscly. Uh, and for many people, that resonates. And if I look through the posts now, that really isn't the message that's coming through. At some point, there was a decision. And I know it was a relatively recent one. Um, so let's get into this marathon stuff, right? So you spoke about briefly, and, and I'd like to double click onto that, that you've done a 230k Arctic uh, Circle marathon of sorts. And you've also done six back to back marathons in the Sahara Desert, totaling 250k. Incredible stuff. You know, marathons are one thing, ultra marathons are next level. And then you have extreme condition marathons like this, which are just crazy, <laughs> just crazy. Why, you know, that's quite a shift from, you know, muscles and aesthetic to extreme endurance. Why the focus for endurance? First of all, let's get into that. You know, what was missing that you felt the need to pivot? Um, it's funny because there's a time lag of three years between my last bodybuilding show, which was the WBFF Worlds in Vegas and Marathon de Saab, which was six back-to-back -back marathons in the Sahara Desert, which was in April of 2018. So there's quite a gap in between there. Um, I actually spent a lot of that time kind of focusing on my business, focusing on family. My daughter was really, really young and it was spending a lot of time on those areas and focusing on those areas. But what led me into endurance wasn't kind of a traditional sense in the, from a, a kind of a flick of a switch from a fitness aspect. It was a case of, to give you a bit of an idea of where I heard about, you know, the six back-to-back -back marathons. So Marathon to Saab is like one of the, you know, it's, it's t titled as the world's toughest foot race um, for, for good reason. It's six back-to-back -back marathons in the Sahara Desert. It's self-sufficient. So you carry all your food and equipment on your back. The only thing that's set up for you is your tent is set up every night and they ration you water, but everything else is on your back. So you're carrying it with you for, you know, your eight days in the desert and you're running six back-to-back -back marathons. And I was at an event in 2017 I was at a Tony Robbins business mastery in Amsterdam and I met who's now become a, quite a close friend. His name was Tom Otten. And I met him at this event and he was telling me he was an ultramarathon runner. And firstly, the first question I asked him, he was like, I was like, Oh, what do you do? He's like, I run ultramarathons. I was like, what's an ultramarathon? He was like, which is funny because I'm in fitness, but I'd never heard the term ultramarathon. Like I was so far removed from that world mm -hmm. 
I'd never heard it. I was bodybuilding. I was GA, sports, soccer, rugby. Never heard of ultramarathon. I was like, what's an ultramarathon? He goes, well, anything over marathon distance is an ultramarathon. So I was like, all right, cool. And he was telling me about this race in the Sahara that he was speaking about, you know, um, having to have your venom pump with you at all times in case you got bitten by a snake or, or, or stung by a scorpion. And the time delays that they give you if they have to hook you up to an IV, an intravenous drip, if you get dehydrated, and then they take time off you. And I was like, this sounds nuts. I was like, this is crazy. I remember he told me about it at like 10 or 11 a.m., and I missed the entire next speaker because I was there on my phone Googling Marathon the Sob and like checking the forums <laughs> and checking the website. And then what happened was I thought about it and was like, I don't think I can do that. And that sat with me for probably a month, six weeks after. I was like, I really, really don't think I'd done that. Just to give you context, I'd never, never ran before this point. Um, I never ran a marathon. My first marathon was in January of last year to prepare for Marathon to Saab. I ran the marathon in Dubai with a backpack and a hoodie to try and prepare myself for, for the six back-to-backs in the Sahara. So I'd never done a marathon. I'd never ran. And I, it was the first time in probably about three or four years where something came up and I'm like, I don't think I can do that. And that was, that was my kind of catalyst. I was like, okay, you know what? You're constantly preaching to people, push outside your comfort zone, attack things that you're afraid of. I'm like, here you are opportunity right in front of you. You're terrified of this thing. You don't know how to run, sign up. So I literally rang them up the next day and I signed up. And then it was a case. I was like, Oh shit. <laughs> like, mm. I was like, what do I do now? Like, and I, back in 2017, I signed up for this in August, 2017, and it was on in April, 2018. And I did my first two kilometer run on a treadmill at Steve. I nearly got sick. I, I came in from, I did two, two kilometers, two. I did two kilometers on the treadmill and came into the dressing room after and I thought I was going to spew. I remember going on my Snapchat, which was quite big at the time. And I was like, oh my God. I was like, I've got 248 kilometers more of this to do. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I sat in the dressing room at that moment in my gym going, fuck. <laughs> like That was the only thing, that, the only thing that came into my head. I'm like, I really don't know. What did I just sign up for? I was like, I really don't know what I'm thinking. But I, I chunked it down, you know, I was like, okay, you know, a big, uh, one of the things I put in my first book, The Fitness Mindset was become the person you need to be and then make decisions as that person. It was something that I used to do as a, when I competed, you know, I wanted to be one of the top competitors in the world. So I made decisions based off what would a top competitor in the world do? They'd get up and do their cardio. They'd eat all their meals. They would do their resistance training. They would focus on their sleep and recovery. So I, I used that same process and plugged it in for Marathon to Saab, where I'm like, okay, what would somebody who's able to run six back-to-back marathons in the desert do? How would they live their life? And I was like, well, firstly, they'd build up their runs. So I went from two kilometers at the end of my workouts to three. Then I went up to five kilometers. Then I went up to 10. And then I got up to 20. And I was doing 20-kilometer runs pretty comfortably until I was running 50 to 100 kilometers every week. And I focused on that. I focused on my recovery. And I focused on my mindset because I knew that when I got to the desert, I never ran you know, back to, I never ran anything self-sufficient. I'd never ran anything multi-day. Um, and the long day on Marathon to Saab is two back-to-back marathons. So it's an 86 kilometer run. So I never ran anything over a marathon. I'd only ran Dubai Marathon three months before. 
And I was like, well, I need to build my mental strength. I'm like, I need to be mentally tough because my body's going to be sore. I'm going to be broken. There's going to be a lot of variables and problems that pop up that I just can't even think of right now. But what can I control? And I remember thinking I can control building up my mental toughness. So I kind of focused on that. Um, and that was my reason for getting into it. It wasn't actually to physically challenge myself. And I still don't do it to physically challenge myself. One of the reasons that I run is to give you a bit of, you may know this, Steve, from following some of my stuff. I fucking hate running. Like, I hate running. I absolutely hate it. Like, I joke with my ultramarathon friends. Like, I was talking to Tom recently, and he loves running. It's his meditative time of the day. He loves it. He goes out, and, you know, that's his favorite part of the day. Whereas I hate it. You know, I love weight training. I love HIIT workouts. I love cycling. I like swimming. But I hate running. I find it so boring. But it's one of these things that because I hate it so much, it makes me so much mentally stronger because I'm consciously doing something every day that I don't want to do. And that makes everything else in my life easier. And that's why I signed up to the Arctic because I came back from the Sahara after having done six back-to-back -back marathons and got over the finish line. And everything was changed. Like all my limitations that I had prior just seemed to like dissipate overnight. Everything in my life seemed better because I wasn't worried about all the self-imposed anxieties that I had prior. Um, and when I signed up for the Arctic, it was a case of every time I do something that pushes me so far outside my comfort zone, it makes me more grateful for all the things I have in my life. Like now I'm grateful for, you know, food in my fridge. Now I'm grateful for, you know, walls and a roof because I didn't have those in the Sahara. You know, I didn't have those in the Arctic. I ran out of food and you're starving. So you get, you end up being way more grateful for just regular everyday things. And I'm not, for people that are listening, you don't have to run through the Sahara. You don't have to run through the Arctic to do that. But challenging yourself and pushing yourself outside of your comfort zone on a regular basis makes you feel better. You know, I've had to deal with anxiety, that type A personality where you're constantly catastrophizing things and can go wrong, like where you're always up in your own head. It's one of the reasons that, you know, you can, from the outside world, it looks like you're achieving a lot because you're setting a goal, hitting it, next goal, setting a goal, hitting it, next goal. Whereas when you do these extreme endurance events, it makes you be fully present because you can't focus on anything except for the six inches in front of your face and just putting one foot in front of the other. Um, that makes me more present. It makes me a better dad. It makes me a better son. It makes me a better partner. It makes me a better friend to the people in my life. Um, so that was kind of the reason for the transition. I didn't get that from competing in the WBFF or competing as a fitness model or competing in bodybuilding, but I get it from the world of ultra extreme endurance events. That is interesting. I mean, just to, to be devil's advocate a little bit here, Brian, um, you, you set yourself an extreme goal, right? It wasn't like, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run the, the Great South Run, you know, half a marathon <laughs> next year. This time next year, I'll do 13 miles and that, that'll be incredible. And, you know, I'm going to have a mindset shift in doing so, which I'm sure you would have, right? Uh, but you went from nothing to, you know, naught to 60, right? It was, it was pretty insane why are extreme goals like because this is an extreme goal there's not many people out there in the world that are going to sign up to something that's both life-threatening <laughs> uh painful uh, as I, I heard in your most recent episode about the arctic circle run um and i guess very isolated right you know there's a long period of time where both either you're training or you're doing the run itself why extreme goals versus something that's perhaps a little bit more quote unquote normal but still tough 
Yeah, you made a great point there, Steve. Just to let people know, like one of the issues I have sometimes when I talk about things like the Sahara or the Arctic is that I never preach this is what you should do because it's so relative. Like your comfort zone and pushing outside of that is completely relative. Like you've got one person that's listening to this that's like their version of the Arctic Circle is coming home after work and going for a run or going for a workout in the gym because you know you're going to be exhausted. That's that's the equivalent. That's their version. Somebody else, it's, mm, I don't really want to train at the weekends, but I really need to go from four sessions to five sessions to hit my fitness goal or to hit my body composition goal or to lose fat or build muscle, whatever it is. It's completely relative. For me, it's a little bit of self-awareness. And to be honest, I have to set a goal so big or else I won't do the work. If I'm being completely honest, I won't train if I sign up for a marathon. Um, I won't. Like, it, the goal isn't big enough to motivate me to train. And I know that. Um, it's the same in all areas of my life. I set massive goals because at least then I have to stay focused to train for it. You know, I wouldn't, if I signed up for a marathon in, you know, London Marathon, I wouldn't train. I would literally just rock up on the day to the marathon because I'm like, yeah, I could probably do a marathon but I had to train to run six mm. back-to-back marathons. And the same with the Arctic, you know, unless they fall as training runs in between, I have to set the goal big or I can't get motivated. Um, it's the same in my business. I set audacious, ridiculous goals in my business because I can't get motivated in the morning to get up and do it otherwise. Um, and that's just self-awareness on my point or on my part. And it's not a case of everybody should be like that. Some people, it's not like that. It's focusing on very small, simple steps in front. And that that works for some people, you know, it's, it's know thyself, like whatever works for you, double down on that. If you find that setting smaller goals, relatively smaller goals in smaller steps is what works for you and hits, gets you to your end goal, then do that. If you're of a personality type like me that you have to set it bigger or else you won't do the work, then set it like that. It really comes back on what works individually for the person. That's really interesting, man. I, I didn't expect that answer, Brian. And that does make perfect sense. Uh, it's about motivation and what intrinsically drives you to act. And hey, if that's what you need to do, <laughs> then go forth. Uh, for me personally, yeah, it, it scare me shitless. Maybe that as, as a result is maybe something I should go try. Um, but maybe here's, a, here's another, another kind of angle to the same question. You know, you went from uh, somewhat obsessional uh, relationship with developing your body. And we all know that you know, long distance endurance running uh, does the opposite to your physique, right? It is, it is, it, 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 it will, it will waste away some of the muscle, right? There's some catabolizing that's happening. It's definitely not going to be anabolic, right? Let's let's be clear. So yeah. you you had to, I guess, accept saying goodbye to all the hard work that you had put in for five to 10 years prior to that in developing your physique. Now, physique isn't in everything, and I, I know that's going to be part of your answer, but um, for me personally, where I'm at, I probably couldn't sign up to that, not because I don't think I've got the mental toughness or I couldn't build up my physical capacity or I couldn't uh, forego some of the you know luxuries and deal with some of the sacrifices and some of the danger, Albeit, I know that would be incredibly tough. Uh, if I really wanted to, I could probably sign up to find a way to do it. Um, but given my physique goals right now, it just it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work with what I want from myself. How did you, yeah, how did you navigate that? Because saying goodbye to all that hard work must have been 
it must have been a decision in its own right. And how did you get comfortable with that? Um, it's funny because something I used to speak a lot about on my channels that is I'm very much out the other side of now was, and I, I always, not so much now, but I used to be really embarrassed talking about it, was that body dysmorphia that you that I had when I was competing. Because when you're competing as a bodybuilder, as a fitness model, and I, and I did really well as a fitness model, like I used to get paid to travel all around the world for photo shoots. And when that's your job, you're... You, it's effectively you need to be good at your job. So you need to be in a certain condition. You need to have a certain level of body fat at a certain percentage. And that's all you tend to focus on. And what happened to me was that became such a primary focus that I was never really big enough. I was never lean enough. I was never happy with the way I looked because I was mm. being judged on that. When you step up on stage, the metric, you know, for you run a marathon and you're trying to win a marathon, you run fast, the fastest person wins. When you're competing in bodybuilding or in fitness modeling or muscle modeling, you're being judged on the metric of this is how you look. This is how big you are. This is how lean you are. This is Very how personal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and it's, you know, and it's completely subjective to each person. You yeah. know, some people like apples, some people like oranges. And what was happening to me was I got very into that world um, and heavy into that side of things. And it led to a really poor, um, a really poor relationship with the way that I looked, you know, in, in the sense that I was constantly trying to get bigger. I was tr constantly trying to get leaner um, and I was doing everything that I could in order to kind of reach those goals. And kind of what happens, what I like to analogize it like is it's like pulling back a, you know, a rubber band. You can only pull it back so far before it springs back into place. And I got so far into that world and I was so obsessed with the way that I looked and how my, you know, how symmetrical my chest was, you know, how big my quads were, that when I came out of that world, I completely removed myself from it and realized mm. that, look, there's something wrong here. You know, you need to fix your head. You need to fix your mindset. All you're doing is focusing on the negative parts of your body that you're not big enough. You're not strong enough. This is why I connect so much with both genders, you know, who have issues with the way that they look. I'm like, I was there. I was like, I was 100% there. And I've came out the other side now because I spent so long training that way and living that way that it was a rubber band effect. It, it pulled back so far that when I let go of it, I went the other side where I'm, now I don't care at all. Um, I do a little bit of body compositional work because that's the way I like to train. It's, it's, it's a little bit fortunate and lucky because the process of resistance training, weight training, I love it so much and I'll do it till the day I die. Like it's my favorite way to train. And as a result, I end up like I'm still, you know, when you picture ultramarathon for anyone that's not familiar with me or the way that I look, you know, I'm 85 kilos, you know, about 10% body fat, five foot eight, like I'm still pretty big. Um, Absolutely. You're not a stick insect. No, yeah. You know, in, in, and for ultra runners, like I remember <laughs> when, I, when I landed into, uh, into the desert, into the Sahara for Marathon to Saab. they put you into tents in the, in the desert. Um, so the six pe per people per, per tent all around the world top ultra runners from all around the world. And there was one other guy in my tent and he was 85 kilos and I, I was 85 kilos. We were talking about our weights um, because we were talking about, you know, the weight in our backpack, etc. And he was 85 kilos. I was 85 kilos. He was six foot eight. I was five foot eight. Oh my I God. was like, <laughs> that gives you a gauge of people that were like ultra marathon builds. So mm. I kind of don't fit into that description either. But to be honest, I let go of a lot of that. But on the flip side, because I still weight train every day, I still do my resistance work every day before my runs. And 
as a result, I haven't actually lost that amount of size. You know, I, in an ideal world, I'd like to drop another couple of kilos because when you're doing these self-sufficient races, if you have three kilos less on your body, it means you can put three kilos more in your bag and, you know, <laughs> your overall weight distribution is going to be better. Um, but to be honest, I let go of it. I went so far down the rabbit hole of constantly all I was thinking about was how can I get my arms bigger? How can I split my quads more? And you can go so far on that. When I stopped competing, I came out the other side and was like, I don't care anymore. I'm like, I'm happy with the way that I look. And I way prefer the way that I look now. You know, it's way more lean, way more athletic. You know, I was 10 kilos heavier when I was bodybuilding than I am now. You know, I like in the off season, because I'm so small, you know, I'm built like a hobbit. You know, I, I can, I can, build a load of muscle and size and body fat. That's how my body will go. So I can comfortably get to 94, 95 kilos if I just eat and lift. Um, but I didn't like the way that I looked then. I didn't, I wasn't functional. I wasn't, you know, I didn't particularly like the way that I was. I didn't fit into any clothes. Um, and I way before the, prefer the way my body composition is now. Um, but for me, it was just a case of a combination of enjoying the process of how I train now and just letting go of the way that I looked. Um, and there's a sweet spot. It's goal dependent on the person. Some people listening, if, if body composition, building muscle, losing body fat, looking a certain way is the main, your main goal, then it's probably not an ideal to do endurance events that are going to pull from that goal. You know, body composition in the way that I look isn't a goal of mine now. It's like, well, low down on the pecking order. Performance is number one now. So that's how I train to kind of work backwards from, you know, how can I run through the Arctic? How can I run through the Sahara? Um, and it's all goal dependent on the person. Just whatever your goal is, make sure your action steps are mapping to that end ambition and you'll eventually get there. I, th I think you bang on. I mean, quite often you know i keep having to remind myself make sure the goal is the go the goal right uh quite often you can train because you like training in a certain way and there's nothing wrong with that uh, but if you have a goal that's driving your training behavior and your training behavior isn't matching your goal it's you're going to be dissatisfied right as long as you know what you're signing up for right i'm signing up for doing something i enjoy that's not necessarily the most productive or optimal way to achieve my goal I may not achieve it or it may take, take a very long time. I could do it faster, but I'm okay with it because I enjoy the process of the training style that I've chosen. Um, so I totally, uh, totally buy into, you know, keep the goal, the goal. Uh, and it just sounds like your, 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 your desires and goals and interests are, are shifting organically. Do you think that's that's you and it's individual or do you think it's um enlightenment do you think it's maturity do you think it's intertwined with your business goals that um performance as it relates to endurance is now a priority matters more because one would one would argue that whether you're obsessional about your physique or you're obsessional about extreme endurance um one would argue what's the point either way right, where's the value to your listener? Where's the value to your customer? Where's the value to other people other than yourself, right? And I'm, and I'm again, just being devil's advocate, because I get this all the time. I'm a very obsessional person. <laughs> and people say, like, why, why, do you, why do you give a shit so much about X, Y, Z? And it's just the way I'm wired. But yeah. for, for you, um, obviously, that pendulum swinging is so extreme. But the question that I guess people ask is, but why? So why endurance and why now? And is endurance sport and extreme sport something that's going to stay with you for the foreseeable? 
it's it's a funny one to answer because I'm very similar to you in that sense that I have a very obsessive personality. Like I'm very, very type A in my approach to things. And that connects with similar people of, you know, that have a similar personality type and people that aren't like that are like, Jesus, what are these fucking guys on about? You know, <laughs> but it, for me, it, it, yeah, it, from the outside, it can look like you're just switching one obsession for another. Um, but the truth is, and this is kind of the advice I ever offer people, is whatever you're trying to achieve in your life, whether it's fitness, endurance, um, you know, competing for me, whatever, whatever it is, it needs to be for you. And I don't compete in endurance of sport, in endurance events for the content. I don't compete to post it, you know, the finish line photo on my social media. I compete in those events because of how they make me evolve as a person. And that's my reason for pushing those limits. You know, there, one of the things I used to always say with one of my closest friends who lives in California is what would you do if nobody was watching? And I would still do the Arctic Circle run if no one was watching. If I didn't get to post about it, I would mm -hmm. still run through the Sahara because I wasn't doing it for that. I was doing it for, okay, you know, for, it was two different reasons. The Sahara was because I had these limitations on myself and I felt I had to challenge them. I'm like, you don't think you can do this? maybe push the limit and see if you can. And then the Arctic was similar. It was like, okay, you know, you don't like to run. You don't like the cold, you know, see who you have to become in order to hit this in goal. I would have done that. Like if I never mentioned it on any social media platform or any podcast, I still would have done both. And I think when you're making decisions back to decisions, when you can ask yourself and honestly say, I would do this if nobody was watching. I think that can give you a better um, compass in what direction to take it. Because if you're doing it for the Instagram post at the finish line, or you're doing it for, you know, the pat on the back from your mom or your dad or your brother or your sister, or you're, you know, you're doing it to hook up with this guy or girl in the club or whatever it is. Like if you're doing it for the wrong reasons, you're probably not going to be able to sustain it long-term. So that's why I do it, you know, personally. That's a very, very personal. I'm not sure how much value that provides, but that's a very personal answer for me. It's why I do it. Um, in terms of keep doing it going forward, it's hard to know. To be honest, I'm so ADD. Like, I've got the worst <laughs> ADHD, like, particularly when it comes to training and goal setting, that I kind of just go with the flow on it. You know, if you had told me three years ago that I'd be running six back-to-back -back marathons in the Sahara, running through the Arctic, I'd be like, Steve, no chance. <laughs> like, I have no plans to do that. So it's hard to know. All I can say is why have I you signed up? Have you signed up to another race? Well, but let's 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 look in the near distant. Is um, there something else on the diary? Gone, I, I've definitely got Iron Man in June. Um, oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, I've got Iron Man in June. So I've I've never done a triathlon before, and I, I I'm not a particularly good swimmer. But again, I never ran a marathon, and I ran six in the desert. So that's kind of my approach to nice. to Iron Man. Um, so I have Iron Man in June. After that, then I'm not sure. Um, I still have a little bit of issue with my Achilles. I tore my Achilles in the in the Arctic. Um, so I'm kind of waiting for that to heal before I go into full swing on training. Um, so I have set myself a target for that. Um, also, to do those endurance events, I won't do that training style unless I sign up for something. Like if I if I don't have a, an ultra marathon or a run, I will not run, Steve. Like I just won't. You know, if I don't mm. have an event, like that's why I'm so big on telling people, I'm like, set some goal or tangible date. You know, if it's if, if you're trying to build muscle or lose body fat and you, you know, you want to look good for a festival or you want to look good for a wedding or you want to look good for an event, like set a goal and a target date because then you can work and focus towards that, particularly if you don't like training. And I can 
connect 100%. to people on that level because I won't run. If I don't have an ultra marathon or something signed up, I will not run in my training. I just won't be motivated because I don't enjoy it enough. You know, I'll go to the gym and I'll lift weights and I'll do kettlebells and I'll do TRX, but I won't run. Um, so I have to sign up for these events. Otherwise, I won't do the training. Um, so yeah, that's uh, that's advice I'd offer in the terms of what I'll be doing in a few years. Man, I could be I could be doing anything. I could be a monk living in a cave. Um, like it's it, who knows. Like we'll fast forward and take, see. Take some inspiration from Jay Jay Shetty, right? And that yeah. seems to work for him, yeah. didn't it? <laughs> uh, that that's interesting, man. I'm um, I'm 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 really curious and kind of puzzled by how much you dislike running. And how much running you do. It's just like those two things just they, they seem paradoxical. They don't seem to go together, they don't seem to gel. I mean, I know so many people that just get into flow state. They love the run. You know, get out at lunchtime, they'll run for 30, 40 minutes, stick the earphones in, get a good old sweat on. And it just makes them feel good. They know that they're managing their body weight. Um, yeah, they, they get alone, they have music in their ears, and that's why they do it. They like it. As you've said, you know, people that you know. The fact you don't like it and you do it, I think it absolutely talks to the, one of the things I hear a lot from you, which is, you know, building your mental toughness. Um, but it, I think most people would just go, I don't get it. I, I don't understand why if he doesn't like it, he keeps doing it. <laughs> that that I struggle with. But here's the question in, in this, this um, monologue, which is, have the outcomes of these two huge, incredible journeys have the outcomes lived up to your expectations like when you signed up to the sahara desert run when you signed up to you know near death in the arctic circle have they lived up to your expectations um i can definitely speak to the sahara because enough time has passed that i'm able to see the kind of the fruits out the other side um when i came back from the sahara as i said I, all these limitations that I had in other areas of my life just seem to like dissipate overnight. They just seem to disappear. Um, the Arctic is still relatively fresh. So one, I definitely know my relationship with physical pain has completely transformed since the Arctic. When about 84 kilometers from the end, my Achilles tore. And one of the medics that was in one of the, the heated teepees with the indigenous tribe was telling me, she was like, if you keep running, your Achilles could rupture. And uh, it, the pain was like nothing I've ever experienced. Like the tip of my nose was just radiating pain from my Achilles. Like my head was throbbing from the shooting pain Jesus. coming up and down my leg. And I'm like, I still have fucking 84 kilometers to go. I was like, how am I? 84 kilometers. That's, that's, that's a lot. Yeah. It's <laughs> What's a that? Lot. What's that like, in miles? It's, it's like, like yeah, it's 40, not, 50 miles. Yeah. You know, it was, um, there was still so far to go, but I made a commitment before I got out there. You know, I made the commitment that I was either going to leave in an ambulance or I was going to finish. And um, that served me in the Sahara. And I kept the same principle in the Arctic. Like, it sounds ludicrous and it can sound extreme, particularly when you have a lot of things to lose. Like I, you know, I have an amazing daughter, amazing family, but you can't do these, in my opinion, you can't do these extreme events and give yourself a plan B. You can't give yourself an out because they're too difficult. They're too hard. You know, if you give yourself a plan B, you will take it. And my, when I came back from the Arctic, at 84 kilometers from the end, I was done. I was like, everything was just screaming at me. Like my heels, you know, there's gonna a couple of videos going up um, 
there's a couple of videos that'll be going up in the next couple of months. Just um, a crowd that, that did a little mini documentary on it. Like all the skin on the back of my heels was gone from the snowshoes digging in. So I was just like layers yeah. of skin gone from my heel. Um, my Achilles was torn and I was just in so much pain. And you just have to switch that focus. You know, I'm a big believer in whatever you focus on is what expands. And the, every time the thought would enter my head on, you need to quit, you're in pain, I would just switch that thought. And I would focus on next foot, put one step in front of the other, you know, left foot, right foot. And th that was my mantra. You know, that was my mantra for like 40 kilometers. It was left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And every time it'd be like sore, pain, I go, no, left foot, right foot. And I had to just keep bringing my attention back to that. Like Eckhart Tolle, the fucking power now, now guy, be like so happy with me. You know, I was just like <laughs> left foot, right foot, like power now. I like had to keep bringing it in and telling myself that this pain will go away. Like this is physical pain and it will go away. You know, it might take a day, a week, a month, a year, but this pain will go away. If you quit and if you pull out, I was like, that's going to last you forever. I was like, you, you, that, there's no coming back from that. There will be a time when you're sitting at home, you're, there's food in your stomach, you, there's a fire on and you're watching, you know, Arsenal United on TV and you're like, fuck, I quit that race, you know? And I, I couldn't live with that. I'm like, I can't live with that. I'm like, I can't mm -hmm. live with the quit, knowing that at some stage, this discomfort is going to go away. At some stage, this pain is going to go away. But if I quit, that's going to stick with me and stay with me forever. And I just made the decision. I made the decision to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and, and that the pain will go away. And it is. Like, it's, it's been a month now and I, I feel way better than I did. Like, my Achilles is still really sore and I have a bit of knee issues from it. But in another month, it's going to be better. And in six months, it's probably going to be completely fine. And that thought process served me and got me through. Um, so to tell you, was it worth kind of the journey? I won't know probably for another six or eight months, but something tells me that the physical relationship that I have with pain is going to show up in other areas on future events that I do. Um, I just don't know how that's going to look yet. I think that's a really honest answer, man. I mean, uh, it'd be easy to say, it, it, it's, it's easy and automatic for people to say, yeah, fuck it, it was worth it made perfect sense like let me tell you all the reasons why but you're still working it through at least the most recent experience and i i, I respect that i respect the answer I'm, I'm curious was it was it boring like <laughs> um because i listened to your podcast and i'm gonna i'm gonna link to the the specific podcast you had on like talking through your journey because that was fascinating talking about um your pre-mortem approach talking about uh, your negative uh, kind of having negative thoughts to drive and uh, encourage your action and talking about the fact you can't let your mind wander because you could die like literally within one miss missed uh, misstep you could die it's incredible but like with all of that going on like did you learn anything i mean like did did i know when i, I do I, I run a marathon and you, you your mind does wonder and you think about those different stuff and that's only for a few hours. Running for like pretty much a day and then stopping for a few hours and running for another day. Uh, did you like have any revelations or was it just really boring or was it just like hell the whole time because you were scared for your life? Like what was going through your head? 
it's weird because they were completely different um, Sahara to the Arctic. Just to give you uh, contrast, in the Sahara, there's parts when you're not running through like heavy sand dunes that's just like, you know, kind of sand gravel um, and your mind can wander. You know, you know, as long as there's no rocks around, there's no real risk of snakes or scorpions. You can kind of let your mind wander and you can just keep running and moving. You don't have that luxury in the Arctic. It's why the Arctic was so much harder because there's so many variables that can potentially go wrong and they're life-threatening. You know, when the pre-race meeting, um, Chris, who runs Beyond the Ultimate, who who organized um, with the indigenous Sami tribe that live in the Arctic, you know, the roots, etc., was saying that the difference between feeling perfect and death in the Arctic is about 15 minutes. They were like, you could feel perfect and then, you know, you fall through a block of ice, you get wet, next thing you feel a little bit of frostbite coming on and next thing your body, you know, five minutes later, there's a mild set of hypothermia and then, you know, 10 minutes later, your, your body's shaking and you can't move and 15 minutes later, you're dead. So the, the risk and the time in terms of how things can go from perfect to fatal was so short that you couldn't let your mind wander. Um, there, there was just too much, it, the risk was too high, you know, where in the Sahara, you know, worst case scenario, you get bit by a snake and you were within arm's reach of your venom pump. You know, worst case scenario, there was a sandstorm and you just, you know, hold out until it passed and then you'd move forward. And realistically, you, you know, you could die in the Sahara. There's loads of different things that could happen, but the risk of death was so much higher in the Arctic because of all the potential things that could go wrong. Um, and you spoke there about the pre-mortem for those unfamiliar, the pre-mortem technique was I, you know, a post-mortem is when there's a dead body and they tell you, well, this is how the person died. What I did with the pre-mortem for the Arctic was, well, what are the things that could potentially kill me or stop me from finishing this race and getting to the finish line? And the two I identified were, were frostbite. So one was frostbite, you know, you get frostnip first and then frostbite where you could potentially lose your fingers, your toes, etc. Then hypothermia was, was a real risk because of death, because, you know, you get hypothermic, you can get ecstatic and, you know, you start taking off all your clothes and the next thing you know, you freeze to death. That's what happens to a lot of people in the Arctic, Antarctic, Everest, etc. And so they were two real concerns. And then when I actually got out there, physical injury was something that I didn't think about prior. That was a real problem when we got out there. About 20 kilometers into the first day, I was running alongside Simon. You know, Simon is a, a friend of mine. He ran through the Sahara with me. The two of us ran through the Arctic together as well. And I, I, we were running and I fell through a, 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 what can only be described as like, you know, a couple of feet of snow and it was up to my hips. I was literally just running along a piece of snow in my snowshoes and I just went straight through it. Whatever wow. way the sun had hit it, I went straight through and I couldn't get up. I wasn't able to get out of it. And Simon had to literally hold on to a pole and like pull me further away because every time I tried to claw out, the snow would come with me and it would pull me back down and he had to pull me out. And then the same thing happened to him another five kilometers up the way. So at that point, we made the decision. We're like, okay, let's make sure we're 100% stick together because that would have been a real problem. You know, if you're stuck in the snow and can't get out, you know, you know, there's a real risk that something bad could happen there. So in the sense of being able to switch off, you couldn't. Your, your mind couldn't wander. Like I had some revelations in the Sahara because like there was times, particularly on the long day, which is like 86 kilometers, you know, your mind is just wandering, you know, you're figuring out all your life's problems and you're working through all your demons mm -hmm. and issues that you have. None of that happened in the Arctic. It, there was no point. That's what made it so hard. 
because you yeah. constantly had to focus on getting the next step right, getting the next half kilometer right, getting to the next checkpoint TP, getting to the next point where you're going to be safe, where, you know, you're over, a, um, you know, if there's a piece of ice that you could potentially go through. There were so many variables of what could go wrong. Um, and because of that, you couldn't switch off, which helps. It, it meant that you were fully present. It also meant that it felt way longer than five days. Mm. Like it felt like a month, you know, because of you're constantly focused and not switching off. Um, you must have been in constant fight or flight, you know, that sense of running for your life, like literally running yeah. for your life constantly. And people talk about, you know, um, central nervous system fatigue and adrenal fatigue. I mean, boy, you must have been going through some of that, you know, where every moment is basically shit your pants moments. <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine it, man. It wasn't until like, it's funny because this gives you a context on how badly I was hit by both. Um, I went to this, I did the Sahara, the six back to back marathons. Now the desert, because of the heat, because of the 40 degree heat, like my feet were mangled. Like they were just layers of skin gone, blisters, they were destroyed. But I was able to train. I went to the gym a couple of days later and I like, I, I had to be on a bench. Like I, I had like walking sticks and stuff, but I was, I was on a bench and I was doing rows and presses on a bench. When I got back from the Arctic, I couldn't do a thing for about 10 days. I was like, I couldn't do anything. My whole central nervous system was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like, it's like, you're not lifting, you're not training, you know, you're not, I couldn't even string sentences together properly. My body, what it, the only thing it felt like was my body had, pushed so hard and my mind had pushed so hard in the Arctic that when I came out the other side, it's like, okay, you survived, you're alive, time to recuperate now. Like I couldn't even think. I wasn't able to string sentences together properly um, because my body had obviously gone from one extreme to the other. Um, so physically and mentally, e even the recovery period Compar comparing the two uh, was so extreme from two different sides. I'm sure the, the Achilles tear didn't help that. But um, but yeah, it was very, very different out the other side. But uh, yeah, it was it, <laughs> it was pretty brutal. Um, but, uh, but that being said, you know, the Arctic is beautiful. Like some of the scenic stuff. No, you're seen, trying to sell it. To, you're trying to sell it to me now, right? Uh, <laughs> After like, all of that. You know, if I'm, if, I'm pulling the, if I'm pulling up the good side, like I have to say, there was times when you're looking around going, oh my God, like it's way more beautiful than the Sahara, you know, in, mm. in terms of scenery and landscape. It, you can't appreciate it because you're, you're, you're broken. <laughs> like, you know, you're in such physical pain. But when you did look around, it is beautiful. Like, you know, and there was times when I would catch myself or you'd be trying to plug on through and you're like, just pause for a second and just look around, you know, just look at the mountains, just look at the snow. Like it's like being on the moon, you know, there's nothing around for miles and miles and miles and miles. Like, and all there is is just snow. Like, so there was parts of it that were beautiful, but, um, but yeah, to be honest, I was probably in so much pain and so much physical and mental discomfort that I, uh, I probably didn't take it in as much as I probably could have. Well, hopefully you can have some positive flashbacks <laughs> as you let let this replay through, man. Listen, um, fascinating, absolutely fascinating, Brian. Tell me how you think, and again, I know you've said it, this is something that needs to get processed over the next few months, but how does this fit into your bigger picture? Like when you think about helping others, when you think about not legacy, I think it's an overused word, but you making the impact that you believe you can make. How does the last year and a half of going through these extreme sports, and I'm sure there's an answer, and I'm curious to it, 
How do you think this fits into your bigger picture, the Brian Keane bigger picture of value and impact to others? It's, it's ironic because one of the messages that I preach on my platform that you can't help anybody else until you help yourself first. And with the analogy I like to use is, you know, if you're on an airplane, you know, if, for, if you've ever like for anyone listening, be like, the fucking no one listens to these. But like the safety lesson at the beginning of the air, they, when, <laughs> when you're about to take off on a flight, what do they tell you when the life preserver comes down? It's like, put on your own life preserver first and then fix it to your kids or elderly people beside you. That's how I, I think life needs to be approached for a lot of people. From my perspective, you can't help anybody else until you help yourself first. And doing things like this gives me context for, you know, different strategies for building mental toughness, different, and people don't have to do it. Like you don't have to run through the Sahara or the Arctic to get, for example, some of the things that I got first. And in, when it comes to the message of trying to help more and serve more people, because that's what it's about at the end of the day. You know, I love the Gandhi quote. I haven't made, I just want to re- make a reference. I haven't made any quote. <laughs> Come on, you haven't done <laughs> any. Point, and you listen to any of my podcasts, there's like fucking 10 in every episode. Like, but I love the Gandhi quote that, you know, um, to find yourself, you need to lose yourself in the service of others. And I think it's Gandhi that that is, and that that quote's attributed to. And that's how I feel about everything that I do, that my fulfillment level it, like I'm in such a fortunate position, Steve, I make a great living, you know, as long as I don't make any stupid decisions, I'm never going to have to worry about money. You know, I, I'm in good physical health. I have no issues as of now in terms of my physical health. I'm very, very fortunate. And the things that I can focus on are, well, how can I make the lives of other people better? But these are kind of the selfish things that I do, the extreme endurance events, but they're selfish in the wider scheme because they make me a better version of me. They make me stronger. They make me better. They make me able to cope with life stresses better than I was able to do previously. And as a result, I can pass on some of that to other people and hopefully serve and make their lives better. So in the greater scheme of things, I'll continue to do that for whatever that looks like. That may not be ultra endurance in three years time. It may be something completely different, but for as long as the things that I'm doing are benefiting me and making me a better version of myself, it's going to allow me to try and help and serve more people. Um, and I think that message for the amount of people that I talk to, and you know this yourself, you need to look after yourself. Like it's not selfish to train for an hour a day. It's not selfish to prepare your meal so you have more energy. It's not selfish to go to bed at, you know, and get your eight hours of sleep if you need it. If that's what makes you a better father, if that's what makes you a better son, if that's what makes you a better boyfriend or husband, if that's what makes you a better person, it doesn't matter how you do, it doesn't matter what way you look at that, you looking after yourself and prioritizing the things that make you better is going to make you better with everybody else that's in your life. And doing these events, even though I'm gone for, you know, a week or two weeks at a time and it breaks my heart leaving my daughter for that long, I know it makes me a better dad. It does. Like every single time I come back, I'm way more grateful for that relationship. I spend way more quality time and I know that it's setting an example, you know, like Hmm. she, you know, daddy was running with the polar bears and the penguins. Ironically, there's no polar bears and penguins in the, in the (laughs) Arctic, but that she had a t-shirt, you know, her mom made her a t-shirt that daddy's running with the polar bears and the penguins. And when I ran to the Sahara, she has a t-shirt that we're going frame and that daddy's going running with the camels and you're setting examples. And I, and I, I know that that's landing with her in whatever way that it is. And I want her to grow up and not 
question limitations and not be making decisions based on what other people think you should do to be like, well, here's what you want to achieve. What message do you have for the world? What do you want to do? And then go and attack those things. And I try and do that in my own life by leading an example for her. And if that has a residue effect and knocks down to other people, then amazing as well. Oh, that's beautiful, man. That's beautiful. I think your daughter's name's Holly. Is that right? Yeah, that's her. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've got two daughters. One of them is named Holly as well. So uh, uh, all your <laughs> Uh, the older one, the older one's uh, nine, the young one's just about to be six. Kira is the youngest. And um, look, man, I, I completely get what you just said. You know, you can't give from an empty cup. And I, I, I think you shouldn't even bother, you know, yeah, you can give from a half empty cup or a half full cup, but hey, why not fill yourself up to the brim? Because then you're going to be overflowing. And when you overflow, what you can give is just so much, so much different, so much better. And yet my biggest driver sounds similar like you know it sounds selfish but you know i want to be the best version of myself in turn i want to impact my immediate circle i my kids because they're still fresh and brand new and hopefully through the journey of me realizing who i am and helping her there's other people that are going to come along from the for the ride and might get some value too so i get that completely and it sounds like and hopefully i've i've got this right what you've got from your these experiences is perspective, like extreme perspective. You've got the opportunity to be a bit more appreciative and valuable for the simple things in life, and um, I guess I guess it's just it's demonstrating how limitless life can be if you put your mind to things. And I think they're great things. And I came into this discussion a little bit skeptical that um, that I wouldn't be lured into the idea of it in any way, shape or form, it just goes against the grain in every way. And hey, I'm still mostly on that side. But you've definitely shifted me a little bit because there's a there's something beautiful that's obviously coming out the other end for you. And um, there's a part of me that wants to see see the value for myself. So listen, man, I really appreciate you sharing this story, man. It's been fantastic. Thank you for your time as well, man. Tell me and the others and, and the people listening on the show today, what can we expect from you? Not just endurance sports stuff. <laughs> uh, what can we expect from you? What's next? What's the next mountain to climb, whether it be in business or social engagement or uh, value? I think you've got a book that's just come out. Tell us a little bit about what's coming up in 2019 and the year ahead. So my main folks, and again, I think we said this might have been off air, but thank you so much again for having me on. This is awesome. This is flowing. We've been like an hour and 10 minutes talking. I'm like, Jesus, have we been an hour talking? <laughs> um, but the main focus now, and this this was always the priority, is um, my third book. So my second book, Leaner, Stronger, Faster, which is very um, niche dependent on athletes that are looking to improve body composition, you know, get faster, leaner, stronger, etc. Um, but my third book, which as of now, the working title is either Rewire Your Mindset or A Life Mindset. It's very much a book built on the philosophies of, of seeing things a certain way. And, you know, as we said, extreme perspective, um, getting the second draft of that done. So the goal for this entire month was getting the second draft done. So that will be out in time for Christmas. Um, when that's <laughs> over, things will focus back towards Ironman for June. But as of now, the primary goal for the next two months is getting that book sent off to the editor and getting it ready to go. Um, and then I'll switch into Ironman training probably. Again, you know, things may change between now and then. But as of now, Everything is geared and focused. You know, I spent, you know, three hours this morning editing that um, and everything is geared towards the book at the minute. And then again, as the, the year goes on, things will progress and change. Cool. Lovely, lovely. Where can people find you? So direct people to 
the one or two places online which they're going to get the most condensed version and most relevant version of you and your work? Definitely the podcast, the Brian Keane podcast and Instagram. Brian underscore Keen underscore fitness. Uh, they're the two that I spend the most time on. Um, 100% the podcast. It's my favorite thing I'm doing at the minute. I freaking love the podcast and Instagram. And you have do, some like, amazing guests. Oh, you've, been, you've spoken to them all. It's brilliant, man. I love I love seeing the progress you're making. Oh, it's so good. But you know, like, you're, like there's times when you're chatting to people on the podcast, like, I can't believe this has worked. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so good. But uh, that and Instagram, they're, they're the two for sure. Um, if, if people have connected, um, and they, you know, they want to hear more. Um, yeah, they can definitely check things out on there. Awesome, Brian. Listen, man, I appreciate you honestly and sincerely. Keep doing what you're doing. Uh, keep sharing your story. And um, I look forward to further collaboration in the future at some point. 100% Steve. Thank you so much again. Take care, man. See you later. Wow. Hopefully you enjoyed that discussion as much as I did. And if you're not already do go and check out and follow Brian Keane on social media. And listen, guys, this podcast is increasing in popularity day by day. We are really seeing significant exponential growth. And I'm very grateful for that. We have got some fantastic guests coming up. So please don't miss what's coming through over the next few weeks. Subscribe in iTunes or Google or whatever platform you are using. And do us a favor, please. And either write a review or share this podcast, whether it be in your story, in your feed, on Facebook, or however you can go about letting people know of the value that you're receiving through Adaptation. Enjoy the rest of your day, the rest of your week, guys. And until next week, Adaptation is all about providing you with the tools and expert knowledge to help you improve and optimize your strength, health, and mindset inside and out. If you enjoy this show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps. And of course, recommend us to any friends or family who you think might also enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. This is Adapt Nation.